Hello everyone, welcome to the newest season of the Digital Adoption Show Season 3. I'm your host Tamanna Chanana and I head the Global Growth Marketing here at Whatfix. Today's episode is all about skill-based development. Since the future of recruitment is changing, we thought why not bring an expert here and talk about it. I'm really excited to host Antoine Brossard, who's the Learning, Talent Management and Leadership Development Director at Philips. He has experience in leading teams, global talent development and learning programs to engage and optimize capabilities. His passion is crafting and developing effective training and learning solutions in partnership with senior leaders as learning and training director for enabling functions at Philips. His job is to partner with businesses, markets, functions and organizations to co-design the learning and talent impact roadmaps. I'm really glad that you made it for this podcast and one and i must say it's a big deal to set up the entire organization in line with the business goals to start with let's get to know you personally and professionally antoine over to you hi shamana and uh, yeah thanks for having me so um, very very good intro indeed at the moment i am responsible to take care of strategies and implementation for learning that is capability development leadership development, but also talentment for a part of the organization called Enabling Functions, as in the, the global function that support the business. Yeah. Uh, based in Amsterdam, I think um, what what defines my, my career so far is that I love crafting and collecting experiences. I have lived and worked in, in seven different countries by the time I was 30, and I try to apply that mindset to also how I develop my career. So how can I learn? How can I develop myself? And how can I expand the network by yeah, seeing what's around in different enterprises, different systems, and also different geographies? Mm-hmm. Amazing. That shows the kind of experience and expertise that you have. Hopefully. Uh, for sure. I'm expecting some good insights from you for this podcast. And definitely the title looks very interesting. So... <laughs> Let, let's try and get deeper into that. Sure. To warm up the episode and make it uh, really funny and engaging for the audience, let's have a quick round of rapid fire. So these are some funny questions that we make sure to cheer up our audience and make sure everyone is aligned and they don't feel bored. So coming to the first question, if you could live anywhere on this planet, where would you live? Where would you choose to live? That's a good one. Um, I'll tell you what, I will leave exactly where I live now, which is in Amsterdam, because I think life is short. And if there was a place which I thought would be better, I would probably have moved there already. <laughs> oh, that that's so fair. And I love when people really like the way they are living in the present. So great. Okay, what is your favorite holiday and why? My favorite holiday, I think it depends on a little bit what I need, but I would say it involves doing absolutely nothing for long hours, a numerous amount of cocktails and sun. Location very flexible as long as the three components are present. Mm-hmm. Nice. That, that's the sole purpose of holiday, right? Relaxing. That's it. That's it. For me, yeah. <laughs> okay. The next question. What was the first thing you bought with your own money? <laughs> The first thing I bought with my own money was a pair of um, really <laughs> interesting jeans. Um, back in back in the days where the low waist and the and the enlarged uh, pants were back in fashion, and I paid it with coins. 
that I was gathering as tips as I was a waiter when I was 16. So I went and I think I spent back then $100 in small coins that I laid on the counter of the store. The sales assistant was not too happy with me. <laughs> I couldn't was... The way he would have been counting those coins. <laughs> took it out, took a while. Oh, that took a while. Okay. But I think so those special moments, right? When you special. go and tell your kids that, hey, this is what I did. So I still have the jeans today. Oh, wow. That's so sweet. Okay, great. The last question for this round is, uh, what was the worst job you ever did? The worst job I... I've had many terrible jobs as a student. I think all of us share that. The worst by far, I was working as a bartender in a nightclub. And we used to have to start at shift 5 p.m. to set up all the bar, carry very, very heavy stock up and down the stairs. And then I would bartend until 5 a.m. And then we'd have to clean a nightclub, if you imagine what that implies, until 7 a.m. That was horrible. Mm-hmm. I think that I did that for about six months because the pay was quite good. And then I was like, nope. And uh, yeah, joke aside, I have a lot of respect for people who work in the service industry and do this kind of shop because you have no idea how tiring and, and how the work that is. It was terrible. True. It's good to see that you have some set of learning from the ground level. And especially, there's a set of respect when you have done and seen things on your own. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's coming from a ground level to something this huge. It takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of uh, support as well. And I think so it's great that you have seen the ground things and that's how the world is, right? So great. I'll say it was not the worst job. It would have been a biggest learning for sure. Yeah, for sure. And just a small comment on what you said. I think all of us, regardless of what our career aspirations are, should have experience with hard work, highly operational manual work. Because it is the core of our industry and I think it helps you grow a little bit of respect and appreciation for what you wouldn't see if you don't have the experience yourself. So yeah, happy to talk about the career now, but also appreciate um, other jobs that people do to help us all. Great. But it's another way you are giving back to the society, right? So it's good that... I try. (laughs) Even I think so people who have come from the ground level, everyone tries that. So, great. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, coming back to the business now, what is skill-based development and how actively organizations believe in this concept? For sure. Well, in, in fact, in my experience so far, I've worked in four major global organizations in different industries. So, I, of course, I can only comment on that experience um, and, and what I hear from my peers. I think to this date, actually, a lot of organizations don't really effectively coordinate the use of you know skill information to inform their people's strategies but we are we are starting to embed information about skills not only roles mm-hmm. through you know the full set of, of talent management processes and products i can explain a little bit later what that means okay. um and and we all have this intent to create this dream situation where the workforce is agile future but I don't think we are effectively there as a, as a collective. But maybe it's also helpful to explain what it means, right? A skill base of working or skill based development, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, they all point out in the same direction. So 
to make it simple in my view, a skill-based approach um, to, of course, developing your workforce. It means designing, but of course, also executing on, on specific talent strategies mm. that are structured around skill insights, not around traditional job descriptions, right? Um, it's, it's kind of breaking down what you will see as a traditional job description into very specific skills um, that can, of course, then be temporarily applied where the organization is them versus having a fixed job description that people do, you know, 24 seven, regardless of business cycles. So maybe I can give a quick example Mm -hmm. of, of what we say in other industries. I I read last month on a research paper from Gartner that, um, if you look into jobs like it finance and sales, right? So the total number of new skills has been increasing up to 7% year on year since 2018, right? Right. And nearly one out of three skills in these groups is considered SM34 seen to be obsolete. Mm -hmm. And that's something I do recognize in my own experience where we see already of automation, but also digitization accelerating the obsolescence of skills that was already there. So that's how I would kind of explain where we are and what it is and, and how fast it is actually going, if that's helpful. People usually tend to talk about a lot about recession. So if you are more focused towards the skill-based aspect, then there's a lot of things that you can explore, especially not going with what tend to seem that the world is talking about. So yeah, I think the concept should be considered for the longest time span. Yeah, in fact, small small addition to what you said, I don't think that the concept is entirely new. It's, it's actually been present in talent development bodies of governance and organizations and concept for a very long time but i think the transformation and or rather the application of this transformation takes a long time because you have to take every single person around the skill life cycle as a stakeholder and bring them together in the transformation and a lot of us still today are very used to this traditional view on i have a qualification i have a role I do this job every single day, and when I do my job well, I get to a more senior role. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that it's new, but it's to effectively execute in this transformation means essentially redesigning all processes and products around how we see the work. And that's, that's heavy work, of course, and that increases with the complexity of the organization that we're talking about. True. But do you think that these kind of skill-based development is something which is only specific towards uh, some industries, or is it something worldwide any examples yeah yeah i i can i can talk about some examples but i think theoretically the concept of skills applies to every single work Um, a barista starbucks has a specific set of skills that the person is hired for and developed for Mm -hmm. that also happens to the ceo of global financial organizations so in, in theory breaking down job into skills capabilities and domains of knowledge applies everywhere what i think is more ambiguous is where is that transformation more effective needed and how and how it is driven and with what effect that i think largely depends on on the type of industry you're talking about um so happy to give some examples of course um maybe that's that's interesting and helpful for the listeners but i think before talking about the real examples it can be interesting to talk about the challenges in applying that transformation and that change that I have seen myself 
and also of observe IRPs in other industries. So I would say that if you think of a traditional way to do HR, right, to use very simple terms, I think most of us are already trying to keep up with a change in the environment and the skills. And we do this by reacting to the business request for skills. Mm -hmm. So again, in a traditional environment, we as a COE tend to turn to our business leaders mm -hmm. and ask them, okay, what are some of the gaps that you see with skills? Yeah. Um, as you set a business strategy, and then we respond by implementing all sorts of different HR and talent solutions to address that need, right? So for example, um, your traditional learning and development team may deliver a learning solution. Um, your recruitment team may recruit a new sort of employee to, to, fill, to fill that gap. And then of course, management leaders, they will look into chances to, to look into the workforce redesign. Yeah. So that's how it works, I would say traditionally, right? Well, in my experience, I think this approach is now insufficient um, because employees constantly need to learn new skills, but not only learn new skills, they also need to unlearn mm -hmm. former skills and former behaviors, right? Yeah. Um, so in that context, hiring a new employee mm -hmm. is also kind of an unrealistic strategy when the candidate mm -hmm. for skills that are in high demand are in very short supply. Yeah. Creating a new learning solution or leadership development program takes time and is often delivered when actually the need has passed. Yeah. It means that for, for the employee, for you and I, we yeah. often find ourselves in situations where we are spending time learning skills that are no longer in, in, in demand yeah. by the time we're ready to apply. That's the issue with the traditional model. Yeah. Um, I think a third element around the challenges in, in applying that change is data. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of organizations, the information on skills, and by that I mean, for example, you, what are the skills that you bring to the enterprise and what are the skills that you would want to develop, right? So mm -hmm. that consolidation of information, it may not even exist anywhere in the system. Yeah. To this day, many organizations don't capture that data for, for different types of reasons. Mm -hmm. Now, when that information is captured, most of the information is still very fragmented across very different teams. You would have talent acquisition, having a set of uh, pieces of data. You would have talent management with another one. You would have your people analytics looking at something else. Yeah. It means that the leaders of the different centers of expertise mm -hmm. are wasting a lot of time arriving to the same insights or worst, to conflicting insights. Mm -hmm. Then you store data that is redundant Mm -hmm. um, and you don't have a chance to look into solutions that are across yeah. various theories in HR, right? So that's 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 really a big challenge is what kind of data is gathered, how it is understood. Yeah. And the result of this is when we are not having an approach to one people skills data lake, we yeah. cannot understand what I think is a key CEO question, which is for any industry to answer your question, what is the state of supply and demand for critical skills in my organization? That's a question I think we want to answer to CEOs that we are not able to um, when data is not present. So these are some of the first, some of the challenges that I have seen mm -hmm. um, in different industries. And then of course, I'm happy to share how I think we should go about it, but maybe you wanted to respond to these challenges first. Maybe I go further. I have seen people talking about the benefits. But it's very smart when you came up and said that these are the challenges as well. 
because these are challenges we need to understand and see where we can apply such kind of concepts. After two years of COVID, COVID has made us to the digital world. But are we actually accepting and adapting to what is happening now in the present era? Not, yeah, not not quite, to be honest, but you're right. The, the changes in how work is perceived and done during the, during the pandemic mm-hmm. has accelerated, sometimes has forced digital transformation, but it certainly doesn't mean it has been adopted. Um, I still see, you know, us having great systems, technology and ways to do HR and talent management, but if the execution of it, and as in the people leaders who need to support with us are not there from point of mindset is as good as having no technology in the first place. So yeah, I think as, as we are recording a podcast, which hopefully is listened by people who are like the geeks about mm-hmm. stuff like that is also helpful to share in the hard learned lessons and what, what doesn't work. So I don't just give you a list of, you know, uh, here is a magic set of solutions, but maybe now, you know, how, how I would go about it or that, how I think, um, it has worked and, and, it, and of course, to be humble, I like to clarify that the, the recommendations that I'm sharing with you, they are a reflection of my own professional experience and they are based on early signs of success in driving this kind of skill-based approach to talent development. It certainly doesn't mean that I think I have authority or that there are no, no other solutions, but there are four principles, which I have seen kind of saving me and, and the people I work with in doing things well is first, again, Make sure that in every single conversation, in every single document, in every single process of technology, as much as possible, talk about skills, mm-hmm. not roles. And not only talk about it, but use skills at key decision-making moments, right? Um, so that's moment of hire, moment of onboard, moment of develop, moment of promote, moment of exit, even. Skills need to be at the core of those decisions for the strategy to have some kind of a teeth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we as HR or talent professional, we can help leaders and managers, of course, break down roles or projects mm-hmm. into skills. So then they have the education they need to make talent decisions that are based on the required skills, not a legacy war- role or worse, their personal bias on what success looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's really a lesson how learned is if leaders are not trained and developed to stop thinking about how I got there is what is going to help my team get there. Yeah. We are not able to implement any kind of a skill strategy because then it's a different approach to, to success, not, not data necessary. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is again, to embed skills in all the processes in learning and development in leadership development, in rewards mechanisms, and of course, performance management solutions. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, you might think, hmm, it sounds like this guy is telling us to redesign all processes. Mm-hmm. And yes, not maybe a full redesign, but iteration or or modernization for sure, right? And then, of course, it means that um, the, the strategy also applies to hiring as well as to onboarding. And, and in my opinion, a true skill-based transformation can never, ever work if employees themselves are not rewarded and promoted for skill proficiencies and managers are not encouraged mm-hmm. uh, to develop for skills. So that's the second, kind of this embedding in all processes, products, and solutions. Mm-hmm. 
The third notable principle, again, that I've learned over time is as much as possible, ensuring shared accountability across the organization. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a workforce or a leadership team who thinks that skill-based transformation is an, is an HR thing mm -hmm. or deliverable, it doesn't work. It requires very, very good advocacy, mm -hmm. but also capability That's from stakeholders, right? We have to think about you know, more senior leaders who have been doing what they do for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, or at least in their perception, someone is telling them, well, the title doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Now it's about how good you can be at specific skills right now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really huge challenge. And I think we also have to meet people where they are and, and have empathy in terms of the change of mindset towards work that it creates. And the fourth um, and, and last one, of course, there are some others, but I think the most notable is it's never too early or too late to start gathering dynamic skills information. Mm -hmm. uh, I have seen really excellent companies with amazingly bright leaders wasting enormous resources in trying to perfect definitions, you know, like having the right enterprise skill ontology as if stakeholder management would really mean something different whether you work at McDonald's or at McKinsey. Not really, right? Um, so I think what I would recommend is whatever you have, use a good enough list of skills which is helping you right now yeah. and then revise it over time because technology and AI can help you iterate and perfect your ontology without you having to do any kind of a work. So I think it's really a waste of time. So yeah, these are the four things that I've learned into how it works practically and what I would, what I, how I would go about it to to do it again in a different environment. Mm -hmm. I think so. These are great. Mm. Plus, uh, making sure that the business is aligned with the numbers that we are expecting. Yeah. Well, I was referring more to to very senior functional leaders, as in you know, mm -hmm. capability or someone working in finance or in legal in HR. That the way they think about development is not from a job title to another, but more having the skills. But of course, it creates insecurity about how people pursue their own uh, title and authority. So yeah, definitely a change curve we are going through, I think, and will continue to be on for mm -hmm. for some time. Do you see any kind of benefit that employees can get versus the organizations here? Um, yeah, well, I, I think the, the benefits are, are for all. Um, of course, in, in, in theory, a healthy organization results in greater experiences for employees but but i think more specifically um when when the concept of skill base of working is is, is implemented mm -hmm. first i think we place employees more effectively mm -hmm. because we try to remove some of the bias around perception and race and you know drive diversity by having a conversation on what specific hard skills or soft skills are required mm -hmm. and which employees right now can do the job and it's a more effective conversation than you know having this very ambiguous and vague and uh, chat around behaviors and perception of some leaders so that's that's one benefit which is generating of course greater and i think fairer career moves for employees i also think that this concept allows us to to anticipate changes in skill requirement more proactively but then also to respond quicker right um, if you have, if you are operating of job descriptions, you can't go and redesign or reevaluate your job descriptions every single year. Yeah. And if you are operating in a very agile environment, 
mm-hmm. once a year is not sufficient for you to relook at your capabilities. Yeah. So by getting away from that model and having a list of skills that are needed for the team to perform, you can actually go through that that list and iterate it much quicker. Yeah. Which is a benefit for the employees because they are then guaranteed to be proficient on the job and to future proof their own job. So that's that's the second one. Mm-hmm. And then I think as a as a COE, as an HR team, we, we can largely improve the effectiveness, mm-hmm. but also the impact of talent solutions. Yeah. Because they focus on skills that are required versus more um, vaguer concepts, right? So um, in a nutshell, I think the benefit is for all, but I think from an employee perspective is it's a more compelling environment. The younger and most talented population that we hire at the moment they come to us, again, not in my current environment, in previous environments, yeah. because they want to be provided with the reassurance mm-hmm. that they will be able to develop specific skills within a specific amount of time, and that is two to three years. They are not coming to us to be provided with a promise of a 20 years career that belongs to a previous version of the world. Mm-hmm. And that allow, and that, that's enabled by the skill-based transformation, by the way, not by looking at job titles. Mm-hmm. My opinion. Great. The shift of the generation have changed the way people think. Skill-based development, I'll say, it will impact an employee who wants that I want to evolve my skills rather than just the job title. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there is a nuance because um, I think there is this politically correct way to think that we want employees to stay for a long time. Mm-hmm. But do we? It's, 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 we, we, uh, there is no correlation between the impact an employee has and on tenure necessarily, right? At least not that I know of. Um, depending on the type of business they're in and what you want to achieve, you may want what we call borrow, you know, specific skills, as in you would hire a specific job family, a group of people for a year and a half, for two years, for three years, for five years, and then you don't need them anymore because you have embedded the capability or you have digitized or whatever. Yeah. At the same time, from an employee perspective, I really am not sure that people who are entering the job market now after graduation mm. are expecting to stay somewhere long. It's not a thing. Okay? Yeah. And I think people come to us because they want to know in the next two to three years, what am I going to learn? Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to reevaluate my option and see where else I can apply. So if we keep on promising people a long-term career, and not understanding that what they really want is to commit for a short time to develop themselves. I think there is a tension between the, the employer value proposition and the expectations of younger demographics. That's a fair point. And we are not sure about what is going to happen. I think so people just stay and based on the upper layer who's managing them and the way they act to certain things define their 50% of their decision if they want to stay or the learning curve or even the money. So yeah. There are multiple factors that can make an employee decide to stay or to go. But I think the real question is, has the employee created a positive impact and received in return the right development for however long or short they stay? That I'm more interested about. Exactly. Coming back to, you mentioned about AI-based development. Mm -hmm. With change in AI-based development to skill-based development, what are your what are some of the benefits that candidates will have over organization if they follow this approach? And would AI play a major role? Sure. Well, I'm 
I am not sure if we can necessarily think of it in terms of having a benefit over the organization, but I think that by when, when a candidate has absolute clarity mm-hmm. on the type of skills mm-hmm. and behaviors that I expected to perform, I think it helps you with, with your preparation and knowing if this is the right fit, right? If you, if you, if you look at a couple of job descriptions on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. a lot of them are still really quite vague, you know, a long sentence, you know, with a lot of complicated words about, you know, your impact and what you contribute to and like now. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's only my perspective, but we all work because we need money yeah. and there is nothing wrong with that. So that's fact. You know, to this day, you still have employers requiring a cover letter. Yes. If you apply for a job, it's because you want a job. Um, why would we expect employees to write some motivation, you know, to say, I-, I need a job? And that, and that's, again, fair. So it's a bit of a segue, but what I'm trying to say is, I think that if we are clearer on what we expect people to contribute from a, from a point of view of skills, uh, but also mindset and behavior, then we create a more streamlined and I think fairer hiring experience for for the candidates mm-hmm. then of course uh, the the adoption of digital tools um on the overall process is another question which i think we'll discuss no i think so this is a fair call and everyone has their own set of decisions to be made and whereas if i say that maybe someone can support you during your process one question that I have is, do you think AI can actually support you during your work or AI will take your jobs? No, I don't think, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's true. I think AI is, is a contributing component, is support. So again, I'm, I'm not the expert on the impact of AI on job obsolescence and, uh, and employment levels. But I, w- I would encourage the listeners to really look into this because you're right. There is this idea that automation creates unemployment. In fact, it has never been the case. Not at any of the major phases of uh, of, uh, of 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 any kind of evolutions, whether it was industrial mm-hmm. or, or digital. What we see is that roles are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the very good example is when um, when ATMs mm-hmm. were invented. Many economists have predicted that you know all banks close down and there wouldn't be anyone working in a bank anymore. Yeah. That has been far from being the case. There have never been as many employees in the financial sector since the rise of technology in banking. Exactly, that's right. That's so I think we need to take a bit of step back. And history is often your friend when when people come with these um, interesting ideas. As an HR professional, I don't think AI will take my job. Um, if it does, then so be it. I will find another job that AI can take. But I think it's more help, right? Because I I I believe that the, what AI provides is um, removing bias, acceleration, optimization, providing suggestions. But I still think that the human plays a key role in shaping the philosophy and the principles that we want the AI to create values towards. Yeah. The AI doesn't have a conscience of values or corporate ethics. We will still need to inform how we use that AI, which is why I'm not scared at all. Oh, great. I think so. That would be a relief for some of the, our listeners that, oh, thank God, our jobs is not at that stake. Okay. Well, I mean, some jobs, 
eventually will be replaced by AI, but I think by then, you know, people will be doing something else or will be maybe taking the job and shaping the AI or make sure it works well. I don't know. So that's what we discussed around skill-based development. It's important that you really focus on your skills now rather than focus on the job descriptions that you want. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Coming back to the last question of this podcast, what do you think about using the concept of digital adoption with skill-based development? How would that transform the overall process? Sure. Well, I, what I think it already is at the core of skill-based development, right? So we are already seeing many, many very exciting integrations between all types of HR systems and employee experience and development tools like learning management systems, LMSs, and learning management experience system, LMXs. So for example, it has been possible already for a number of years for an employee when joining a new company to allow the HR system to essentially copy the information from their LinkedIn profiles and therefore recapture experience, education, skill proficiency, and skill development needs. Mm -hmm. So if you have that in your HR system, yeah. then some of the newer um, learning management experience systems or talent management solutions, they can then use um, AI as well as other means to automatically create relevant but highly personalized learning and development content, which then is captured in your talent management information, right? So in an, so that's that's already been possible for a number of years. I don't think it's done very, very well. Or I haven't seen it yet. But in, in an ideal future world, at least to me, we will be able to have not only meaningful, but very reliable data on the entire employee life cycle from a skills development point of view. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that, if you map that data together with enterprise performance, yeah. but also individual performance management data, mm -hmm. you create that holistic picture and then also a clear ROI model between skill proficiency and eventually profits, EBITDA. Mm -hmm. Which is why I'm going back to the point on data is having this data lake yeah. where we can see correlation and causalities between this, the, the increase of skill proficiency within strategic capabilities and how profitable the organization are for me is the business case for the transformation of HR and learning in general. So I think it is already happening. Mm -hmm. um, now these systems they will continue to get better, right? And and I and I don't think I am knowledgeable enough to know the full extent mm -hmm. of, of what the, the the future possibilities might be. Yeah. But I have the intuition that they are very exciting, for sure. Yeah, considering the time constraint and the episode uh, time, let's wrap up this episode. I'm sure our listeners would have learned a lot from this episode um, around skill-based development and how they can utilize this in their careers and their organizations as well. Any parting thoughts that you have, Antoine, for our listeners? Well, thank you everyone for, for listening if you did and you're very welcome to share your thoughts and ideas on, uh, on anything that I shared and have a great day wherever you are. Thanks a lot, Antoine, for making up and being a part of this amazing show. I'm sure our listeners would really like to reach out to you. Where can they do that? LinkedIn is fine. If you share my uh, my name and surname, I will podcast it. It's completely fine. Okay, awesome. So if you have some questions or if you feel that this episode is something that you enjoyed, please go ahead and write to Antoine's LinkedIn. 
or you can also write a review on Apple Podcast on the Digital Adoption Show. We are available on Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. So go stay tuned and wait for the next episode to come up. Thank you so much. <laughs> Get up, get up, get up, get up.